is a this is a great season that we're in to just really be taking time just to just to pray for for our leaders for our um, our city leaders for our, our state leaders our government leaders more than any time maybe for America more than any time in history we need we need God help <laughs> I think I think other times in history we're more aware of it but we need God's help I Bill read a prophetic word that... It, how many of you were not here this morning? Maybe you were all here. You were not here this morning. Okay, maybe. Um, I'll, I'm just going to read... Uh, this is a word that I gave in February, on February 19th um, this year. In fact, it was on a Sunday night. And I think I'm just going to read this and then talk a little bit about what I see happening and what I see God doing and, and how I think it's coming about. And here's the word that I had. I, um, I probably won't read it all, but I'll read the part that Bill read this morning. I have a sense that our country is improving. I had a vision of God blowing or breathing on this continent as Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a suggestion, but a command. I saw the nation turning blood red from the east coast to the west coast. It was a redemptive nature of forgiveness being assimilated into the ground. And out of the soil, souls were emerging like soldiers in a battlefield. Dead bones were coming to life. They, dressed, they were dressed for battle in different realms. Some had expensive business suits, and others were dressed like doctors and teachers and mothers and so forth. They were all given secret messages that they read and then ate. The messages transformed them and equipped them for their mission. Revelation was released over the nation, and inventions and innovation were springing up all over like flowers on the first week of spring. Pennsylvania was highlighted as a major breakthrough was rising from there. Instead of two towers, I saw three towers were being built as a sign of the strength of the economy being supported by a three-chord strand. I felt a warning that many would look at the political climate to determine the condition of the country, but the signs of revival would not flow from the White House but to it. Hope would not arise from the polls but from the people. This was a people movement that would sweep the globe, turning the planet a deep purple. I think I'm going to read this whole thing. I saw the Lord blowing freezing cold air over Iran and North Korea. It created impossible conditions for war. He literally froze their war machines. It was a political climate change equal to the fall of the Iron Curtain. Every country that was bent on war was being frozen. The climate was suddenly and unpredictably changed. It was weird but good. I saw God, that God had released Daniels into China. And humility and generosity would rise up from the east, and God called it a helps movement. I saw that China would be given the gift of helps for the world. God was hugging centuries of brokenness out of China. And I heard the words, singing revolution. I, um, I, this was a, a few days later, actually, I think the next week. I really felt like we're in a good season, but just to be really clear, I don't think that the political climate will determine what God is doing. I don't think the Lord is leading with politicians right now. I don't mean he never does. I want that to be really clear. I do think that other countries outside of America, um, I do think that there are other countries, I'm sorry, there are countries outside America where the main move of God is coming from the political realm. But I don't think that in the next four years that will be demonstrated here. I don't think you can look to a person for an answer. But I'm actually saying, what I'm actually saying is that I don't think that a person is going to bring a dramatic change that I see happening in our country. I think it's a people movement. I think the Lord is doing it among the people, and and I think it will be many people that will rise up and become powerful, if you will, famous in this movement. But it probably won't be the people that you vote for. The Lord said, don't look to the political climate to determine what I'm doing in America in the next four years. So in other words, don't get excited or disappointed by what's happening in the political climate because the Lord has chosen a different venue for this season. Vision of, I saw a vision of three towers. I saw the Lord rise up, uh, I, I'm sorry, I saw the Lord raise up and I, rise up and I saw generosity, humility, and humility come to our nation. I saw that generosity, humility, and stewardship were going to begin to break the back of poverty and debt. Invention and innovation are going to be flowing out of America. And so that was the word that I had. And um, I actually, I had that prophetic word, and the Lord actually woke me up in the middle of the night. And I had a dream, and I, you ever have dreams you don't remember? I had a really intense dream. The weird, really weird thing is, I don't remember one thing about it. 
except for the dream was so intense that I woke up breathing like really hard. And as soon as I woke up, the Lord gave me more than that. But he told me what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And, and, he, and, he, and he told me that I wasn't to be shaken by the political climate because he was moving from a different place in America. And, um, and I, I woke Kathy up. I said, I just had this. I, I, did, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dream it. I don't know what I dreamt. But when I woke up, immediately the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't audible, but it was, it was so, it was so uh, powerful that it felt like it was audible. And I, I wrote as much down as I could. And, you know, those, those of you that have those kind of encounters, they kind of unfold over days. And so I kept adding pieces to it. I, I saw towers, and I didn't know what they meant. And I didn't know if they were actually towers, you know, physical towers, or if they, if they, if they were representing something. And, and so, um, you know, someone wrote me and, and asked me, on Facebook, they, they write all the time, and they said, you know, is your, is your faith shaken because of the presidential election? I said, no, because I, I really wasn't counting on God moving from the White House, but to the White House. And so I, I didn't, I, um, you know, we work in a lot of uh, countries with uh, people in the political realm, and so I really respect uh, authority. I really respect the fact that God often chooses to move through a country. It's amazing. In the book of Kings, how many have ever read the book of First and Second Kings in the Old, in Old Testament? Oftentimes, it will say, "It'll say when a king's heart was wholly God's." It will say, "And the whole nation followed him." No, the whole nation followed God. And then when a wicked king would arise, it says, "And the nation followed false gods." It's amazing that one person. At times, I, I don't understand the dynamic. I'm, I'm just trying to uh, create contrast. At times, like, like in the book of Kings, a king would follow God and a whole nation would follow God. It doesn't, the, uh, the, the book of Kings doesn't say they pretended to follow God. It says they actually followed God. And then a wicked king would rise up and the people, the same people or the same families at least that followed God would follow Baal, a false god. It's it's some kind of phenomenon. I and like I said, I I don't totally understand it, but I I do believe there are times when God chooses to move through a certain venue, and that and it, that venue becomes a funnel for the presence of God. And when I'm talking about, it, I I I really don't understand. I'm just talking. I'm just sharing through observation. Sometimes God chooses the political venue, and through the political and the political venue becomes like I see it like a funnel, and God decides to move through the political venue. It's like it becomes like a funnel and the presence of God moves through a person or people or a people group and and people everywhere benefit from one or two or three people's victory in God. Other times I was actually saved in the Jesus movement, which was a people movement where God moved grassroots the opposite direction. He moved from many people in, in in our case in America, was many of them were the hippies and the outcasts and the broken and the drug addicts and the people no one wanted, Isaiah 58 kind of people that Bill read today. And God just decided to move on the broken and, if, and, and influence the, the, the influential from the broken. And so the movement went the opposite direction. From the grassroot, a grassroots movement, political realms were influenced instead of it being the opposite way. And so um, God chooses to use... Who he uses, and I, I just I think that's really important for us to have a sense of what God is doing. Our responsibility doesn't change. Our responsibility is to in, uh, is to pray for uh, for leaders. First Peter two seventeen. Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. It's interesting when Peter and and Paul wrote um, the you know the epistles. It was Nero. Who, um, who was leading their country. So when they said, honor the king, they were actually talking about Nero. And Nero almost uh, certainly killed Peter. There's lots of debate whether or not he killed Paul. But for sure he imprisoned Paul. And so when Paul says, and Peter says, honor the king, he's not talking about some really nice guy or, or you know, some, some, uh, some, some conservative that you agree with. He's talking about somebody that had totally different culture, totally different, if you will, an, an anti-God kind of person. And he's saying, honor the king. And so in 1 Timothy 2, 1, Bill shared this, um, I think just a few weeks ago. He's, uh, two verse, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on the behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, 
so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is interesting because he says, I want you to pray for everybody. I especially want you to pray for kings and people in authority so that you'll live a quiet life. And, he, and then the next verse says, because God wants all people to be saved. It's amazing. We oftentimes think that crisis causes people to come to Lord, to the Lord. We oftentimes think that, that if somebody has a, a, a problem in their life or they have something unsolvable or, or something terrible happens or an earthquake happens or, you know, in, in our case, we are, our, our country was attacked, uh, you know, when the Twin Towers fell and all of that. We think that, that, we, we think that disaster oftentimes equals revival. And when we believe that, we actually, instead of protecting our lives, our, our neighbors, our families, our countries from disaster, we actually open the door and welcome it because, I think, because the d- deceiver teaches us or trains us or, or, or deceives us into believing that kill, steal, and destroy equals revival. And I'd like to propose to you that for every person who comes to Christ because they had a crisis in their life, their child died, their father died early, they got in an accident, something terrible happened, there are ten people walking around angry with a God who, who took their child prematurely or, or their husband prematurely or they had cancer or some disease. And for every person who turned to God, there's ten people that, that are bitter because of their circumstances. And all I'm getting at is this, is that, is that disaster does not equal revival. And I'm not saying that for some people that the circumstances don't lead them to God. I'm just saying as soon as you say disaster equals revival, you start praying for disasters. Because you actually think, you're, you're, you actually think that that's leading people to Christ. That more people are going to find Christ in a revival. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the last day, the day of judgment. And it says that... that this angel pours out bowls and people are under you know, pain and they're, and they're weeping, they're gnashing their teeth. And it says they did not repent, but blaspheme the God of heaven. When Moses and Aaron were standing before Korah and, and, the, the, and his rebellious family, and God said to Moses, stand back, stand back. And Moses stands back and the earth opens up. Do you remember this? And Korah's family falls in, in, into the, in, in the earthquake. There's, there's a little earthquake because of sin. What everybody thinks is supposed to be happening. And, you know, the earth opens up and it swallows just the right people. <laughs> and closes back up. I know, there's a whole... I, I better stay on subject. <laughs> it swallows just the right people. Closes up. The next morning, the Israelites are angry with Moses. And did not repent, but became more rebellious. I'm only saying this to say that when you think that disaster equals revival, then you partner with the spirit of terrorism and the, and the spirit that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'd like to propose to you that it's the kindness of God that actually leads to revival and a tranquil, listen, if, I, I think it's a tranquil, quiet life that allows people to actually see the goodness of God. <laughs> that's, that's what I got to say. Okay, I'm done saying what I'm going to say. Now I'm just going to say it again in a different way. Hmm. Here's Paul Manwaring's favorite verse in the Bible. I don't know if, even know if he knows another verse, actually. <laughs> Isaiah 9.6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of what? Peace. And there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. It's interesting, there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Well, you would think, you would, if you knew who's Prince, you would understand that the manifestation of your Prince is peace. There shall be no end to the end of his, uh, I'm sorry, there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from, from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How many know that the manifestation, I believe that religion starts wars, but I believe the kingdom stops them. I believe that wherever the kingdom is present, there is peace. 
Because the leader of the kingdom is the prince of peace. And here he says that the, the, the government will rest on his shoulders. How many of you know that he's the head and you're the body? The government will rest on his shoulders and there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. In, in um, chapter 2 of Isaiah, Isaiah uh, sees this. He says, now it will come about in the last days. How many of you think you live in the last days? How many of you don't? Okay, a whole bunch of you didn't read. You're, oh, you're like, Bill, you're like, I don't have to have an opinion about that, right? Bill says that. I don't have to have an opinion about that. I'm like, I have to have an opinion about everything, actually. <laughs> Isaiah 2. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he would teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths for the instruction will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations and he will render decisions between many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn more. How many know that's the ultimate manifestation of the kingdom coming that God comes and there's peace and nation that used to rise up against nation no longer does nation rise up against nation why because God makes decisions between people and no longer are they settling their battles by killing each other because God is settling their battles does that remind you of anything like Matthew 28 all authority has been given to me Jesus said in heaven and on earth Therefore, you go make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So, how many of you understand that we're, we're called to bring peace to nations? And um, I, I think that because of the season that we're in, because God is moving not from the top down, but from the, from the bottom up, if you will, because God is, because, because the next four years in America are a people movement, I see God pouring out His Spirit on people. I'm talking about like ordinary people are going to become famous people in God. Famous in God. We don't care what the world thinks. But God's going to be moving on you. People are going to be springing up from, from this people movement and actually shifting the way that nations think about God and about morality and about purity. And uh, I think, um, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, brother, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not, everybody say not, against flesh and blood. Everybody say flesh and blood. But it's against rulers. Everybody say rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything. To stand firm, stand firm. Now, the word ruler here, do you notice? Go down to verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Do you see the word ruler? It's the, it's the Greek word that means origin or beginning. And what's really interesting is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, listen to this. It says, you yourselves know Philippians. Paul writes this. You yourself also know Philippians that at my first preaching, everybody say first preaching. Of the, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Let me read it one more time. But you yourselves know, you yourself also know, Philippians, that at my first preaching of the gospel, that, I left, that after I left Macedonia, no other church supported me. The word first preaching, at my first preaching, when I came, and my, at my first preaching, when I first preached to you, the word first preaching is the exact same Greek word, principality. 
It's it's the word ruler, which is translated principality everywhere else, or preaching. In other words, an evil spirit that controls world mindsets, country mindsets, creates origins of thinking that turns into teaching. What I'm getting at is this. In in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says says something awesome. (laughs) I can't even remember what it is now. I hate that. can't even think of the first word. I'll find it. It says, you were dead, and this is chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Let me just read you this one passage, one part. You formerly walked, you used to be dead in your sins, and which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What's the point? Before we knew God, we were being influenced by demonic spirits. I put this on Facebook the other day, and I had a bunch of people say, uh, we all have a free will. We do have a free will, but free will doesn't take away the ability for somebody to influence you. Free will gives you the, causes you to make, be able to make a choice of what influence you'll receive, but it doesn't take away the fact that people can influence you or people in realms that you can't see influence you. you do you understand that you don't inhabit this planet, you cohabit this planet. And there's some of the folks that are in, on this planet that are, live in the invisible realm that don't like you. And if you don't understand, if you don't understand the spirit realm, you can become a victim of the invisible man. And so it's really important that you realize that there, there are literally demonic spirits in, in realms, in this, what we call the second heaven. And for those of you that are, you know, don't, not familiar with those terms, when God created the heaven and the earth, we call that the first heaven. The heaven, the, not just the sky, but the place you live. And Ephesians chapter 6, as we just read, says, there are principalities and powers in heavenly places. How many of you know there are no demons in God's heaven where we're going? And Paul said, he said, I went to the third heaven. Actually, he said, man, I know, but he's talking about himself. He said, I went to the third heaven and I saw things that are inexpressible. That's God's heaven. You are seated in which heaven? And you're seated in two heavens. You're seated in this heaven, first heaven. You're right here in Redding, California. And you're seated in heavenly places. Are you with me? What, what is seated in the second heaven? The demonic realm. As long as we, if we don't take our rightful place in the third heaven, guess what rules the second, guess what rules the first heaven? The second heaven. But if we take our rightful place in the third heaven, guess who rules the world? The struggle is, is that sometimes we, we, Sometimes we live from earth to heaven instead of from heaven towards earth. When we live from earth to heaven, the second heaven is constantly influencing us and having influence. When I say us, I'm not just talking about you and me. I'm talking about the world. But when we take our rightful place in in the third heaven, when we take our seat in heavenly places with Christ, how many of you know that we're not just seated in heavenly places, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ? Far above all principalities and powers and every name that's ever been named, both in this age and the one to come. That's where we're seated right now. You're simultaneously seated in two places. You have dual citizenship. And I would say you actually have a green card to work here because your citizenship is actually in heaven. Sometimes when we see things happen on... um, Let me just say this. The way we respond or react to a problem often determines whether where we're sitting. When something goes wrong and we panic, it tells me that we're sitting I have I'm I'm sitting in the wrong place. I'm operating from the wrong place. You know, if if your son comes home or you know your 5-year-old comes home and you know he had an argument with his friend and it's you know the world is over, right? As we know it. How many of you have children? You know what I'm talking about. They're crying. They're weeping. Oh, my Lord, the world is over. They had a, you know, little, little Sammy had a fight with Johnny and 
as far as he's concerned, the whole world is over. And how about when they get to be teenagers, right? 13, 14, they have an argument with their friend or their boyfriend breaks up with them and, oh my Lord, I think I'll kill myself. And you're, as a parent, you're like, wow, this is not a big deal. Hey, you're probably going to have lots of other loves in your life. You're going to be lots of other friends in your life. And, and it's just like, it doesn't move you. It's like, it's not that you're not compassionate. It's just like, you've been there, you've done that, you've seen the video. And you're like, hey, tie off to me in this storm. It's all right. It's going to be fine. And you know, and you remember the days when you cried like that. When you, when you, when you worried like that. And you're like, you can tie off to me because, not because I'm being arrogant, but just because I feel, well, it's more powerful than that. Oftentimes we react to, to things, oftentimes our reaction to things tells us where we actually, that, you know, that, well, it tells us how we feel about ourselves. Oftentimes our reaction to things tells us more about how we feel about ourselves than it does about the problem we actually have. And when, you know, when the political climate shifts and we're like, ha, ha, the sky is falling. I'm like, dude, dude, you're above the sky. You don't live by circumstances. You live by stances. You don't understand. You, your God is still in charge. Well, I understand this. Yeah, there's lots of things you don't understand, but you do know this. All things work together for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. And I read the end of the book and it all comes out fine. You're going to be in charge. I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's important to realize that there are influences over our lives that are not seen in this realm. As a matter of fact, you, are, you personally, and me, Christians, are not exempt from those. People are like, well, the devil can't influence me. What are you wearing armor for then? I wear this to show it off. We have armor contests every Sunday. No, no. You wear armor because you have an enemy. I, I don't want to make a big devil out of him, but the, to make no devil out of him is to be deceived. I don't know if you got what I just said. You know, we here we believe in a big God and a little devil. We believe it because that's what the Bible says. But we don't believe in a big God and no devil. We, we believe we're supposed to destroy the works of the devil because there is one. And he's not a little guy that runs around with horns. He's, he's actually very brilliant. The word scheme in Ephesians chapter 6 means that he stalks you. He watches to see where your weaknesses are. He waits for an opportune, uh, uh, opportune time in, in the midst of your weakness. And then he attacks you. When did he... When did you know, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Did, what day did the devil come to him? Day one? Day two? Three? How about, how about day 39? No, no. You know why he came to him on day 40? Because it says, and Jesus became hungry. And what was the temptation? It says, and on, it says, after 40 days, after 40 days, Jesus became hungry. And the devil said, great time. And what was the temptation? If you are the Son of God, make these stones what? Bread. Why? Because he's hungry. He comes at an opportune time. He waits 28 days, 29, 30. He's not hungry yet. I'm not trying to make you like devil conscious in the sense like, oh, freak out. I'm, I'm trying to make you realize that sometimes not all your thoughts are your own. The first John 4 says about you, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Beloved, that's you. So that's not written. That's not written to the Democrats or the Republicans or the liberals or the conservatives or whoever you have in your country that you're against. It's written to the church. It says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. For many false prophets have went out into the world. What's he saying? He's writing to the church and he's saying, beloved, don't become a false prophet. You don't become a false prophet by believing the wrong spirit. That means you can that means you can't. Listen, if you can, and you have armor, and you have the spirit of truth, and you, you're born again, and, you have a new, and you're a new creation, and you have the mind of Christ, and you have a new heart, you want me to go on? You, you actually have a, a, a completely new nature. You have the divine nature. You're, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
And the list goes on and on. If you can be deceived, how about those guys who don't have any armor? And what I'm getting at is when you get mad at them, you need to remember where you came from. And people are like, well, you think that, you know, people are believing, you know, demons are influencing the world. I actually do. I actually do. I think the Africans are more intelligent than us in some of these areas. They actually, they actually understand what lots of Americans and first world country people don't understand. And I, I don't think there are less demons in, Af- in, in America than there are in Africa. I just think they're different. They're intellectual demons. Hmm. Hmm. Let me. <laughs> you know, let me give you an example. When somebody believes something completely irrational, typically they're either crazy, which does happen. I mean, they're mentally ill. We, we know. I shouldn't say crazy or someone mentally ill. I don't want to dishonor. There are people who are really mentally ill. I don't think all mental illness is demons, but much of it is. But they're either mentally ill or their conclusion, what they believe, is coming from the origin, from a wrong origin. Something's teaching them something irrational. You find really, really brilliant people like, you, like scientists, doctors and all. Like, like you, you would go to them if you were sick. Like you would, you would trust them. And yet, in this one small area, they would believe something completely irrational. And if you think that that, um, it's metaphoric, that 10% of what they believe that's completely irrational, you think, well, I don't trust them on the rest of this 90%. I'm like, no, no, this is a spirit influencing that origin. This, the th- that, that thought system right there, this 10%, is being influenced by a demon. That's why they think that. The rest of this, for whatever reason, is it. Have you ever met someone or tried to help someone that's anorexic or or has bulimia? Uh, We've been involved many times with people that have anorexia or bulimia. What's really interesting is you could put them in front of a mirror. You know, skin and bones. You know, five foot, six 75 pounds. And they will swear they're overweight. They could stand in a room by themselves, naked, and look at that mirror. But what they see isn't what's in the mirror. That's a perfect example of what demonic spirits do to people. You can talk, you can tell them you're underweight, you can put them in front of the mirror, you can put them on a scale. None of those things feel real to them. You know why? Because the origin of their thoughts are not coming from something that's rational, human, or logical. You can't logic and reason somebody out of something that isn't coming from the intellect. Trying to trying to um, I wish you, I wish I could take you all back to an experience I had for just about five minutes and then take you out of it years and years ago when I was a young man I had what I term a nervous breakdown and what it did is it, it, it started out as an emotional physical thing but it opened me up to the demonic realm. Now, I had been a Christian. I, I got saved when I was 18. This happened when I was 22, and it lasted three and a half years. And for probably two and a half of those years, I saw into the spirit realm. I mean, with my eyes. And some of you are like, I want to see in the spirit realm. I, I think it's awesome. God opens it up to you. I don't think it's awesome if the enemy opens it up to you. And I, I couldn't go into public places because I could see demons talking to people. They would... I know this sounds like you had schizophrenia or something, but I didn't. I could see sometimes a little demon standing on somebody's shoulder and stick their head in their ear 
and they would be yelling something, and the person physically would be going like something's wrong with them or shaking their head or acting like they had a headache. And we, would, we couldn't go into restaurants or public places. I couldn't stay in those places because of what I could see. And, of course, when I got delivered myself and that world slowly closed for me over a period of probably three years, I, I had that going on for about two and a half years, and then the Lord delivered me personally. And I could still see into that realm for really clearly. Like with, I'm talking about with my physical eyes. I could still see in that realm for another probably two or three years. And I couldn't turn it off. So it was still very disturbing. I think if you could have, if you could, if God would open your eyes for a couple of minutes, it would open your understanding to a whole bunch of stuff that I see people reacting to, and I'm like, you, you have no idea what's really happening here. And you have no idea that what you're doing is actually perpetuating the problem, and it's not helping the person at all. As a matter of fact, the devil loves for you to be angry with people because he hates humanity. He doesn't just hate you. He hates humans. You know why? Because they were made in God's image, and that's what he wanted to be. He said, I will be like God. I will rise up in the assemblies of God. And God said, no, no, you won't be like me. And he thrust him down to earth. And then what did he do? Part of, God, part of the enemy's punishment. He thrust him down to this rock. And then God said, and, and you know, he created, and then God begins to create. And on the sixth day, God said something that terrified the devil. He said, let us make man in our image. And in our likeness. What did the devil want to be? He wanted to be like God. What did God say? Before I throw you in the lake of fire, I'm going to make billions of people who have what you wanted. The devil doesn't just hate Christians. He hates humans. And when you hate them too, he loves it. Because he has no power to do anything to them unless you give it to him. And I am afraid that the church has deputized the devil. That we have made him our deputy and we curse people. And when we do, the devil, who has no power to do anything because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me and I give it to you and we give it back to him. And we curse people because of their belief system and you don't realize they have anorexia, metaphorically speaking. And you're trying to counsel them or logic them into your way of thinking and the origin of their thought is not human. And you can get as mad as you want, but you're not going to change their mind unless you bind the strong man. And as a matter of fact, the devil loves that you hate them. He loves that conservatives hate liberals and liberals hate conservatives. He just loves that humans hate each other because he has no power to hurt anyone without them who have been empowered giving him power. Remember what Ephesians 5 says? He says, don't give the devil a place. And again, he's talking to Christians, not non-Christians. He says, don't give the devil a place. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Next verse. What's he saying? You know, if you carry anger long enough, it turns into bitterness. You know what bitterness does? It opens a huge door. And by the way, bitterness has no friends. You know, bitterness may have a political party for a while, but you let that in your life long enough, and pretty soon you don't like any party. And pretty soon no party likes you. And pretty soon they don't invite you to the party. Pretty soon you're lonely. <laughs> that was pretty good, actually. I thought that was much funnier than... You know, I, you know, I, I don't talk like this very often about... Demons and evil spirits. You know, I wrote the book Spirit Wars, and frankly, I don't think I've taught on it three times since I wrote that book because it's very difficult to tell somebody who's never seen that realm what it's like to see in that realm in a way that when you leave the room, people have any respect for you. Like, there's something wrong, that person's mentally ill, and I'm like, no. A lot of mentally ill people have that world open to them, and it doesn't close, and it'll make you crazy. We, um, I had this, this is being webcasted, huh? I just, this stuff's real is the problem. This stuff is real. And it's, it's all through the Bible. So I hesitate because it, it, it creates like, like you guys are like, 
you, you guys, you know, don't believe in intellect or, you, you know, you, you, you think everything's demons or spirits. I, I don't think everything's demons or spirits. I'll tell you that for the three years I, after I got delivered, after three and a half years of being tormented and I got delivered, I actually did think the answer to everything is demons. No, the answer to everything is getting rid of the demons. The problem to, the pro, all problems are caused by demons. How many of you have ever had an experience and you think when somebody else has that same experience, you're like, I know what to do. Like doctors hate it. You go, I have a pain right here. And you go, you know, when I had that pain. <laughs> and you go to the doctor and go, my neighbor had that pain. And they said, the doctor's like, okay, we're going to run some tests. And so, you know, when I came out of that experience, when I came out of being demonized and I finally found peace, I thought anybody who doesn't have peace, they have demons. And so we were casting demons out of perfectly normal people. <laughs> uh, I better not go there. But anyway, <laughs> well, they were normal when we started. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how normal they were when we got done with them, but they were normal when we started. We, um, years and years ago, I felt like the Lord told me that he was going to give me this little city, city of Lewiston, 900 people, a little town. And actually, when, we had, when I had a nervous breakdown, we actually moved to this little town called Lewiston. It's 15, about maybe 12 or 15 miles from Weaverville, where we ultimately uh, uh, you know, ended up leave, leading, I mean, um, living and met uh, Bill and Benny. But, uh, so when I had a nervous breakdown, we moved to Lewiston, California. And I still worked every day. And I, I felt like in the midst of that season, the Lord said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this city. I'm going to, you're going to influence this little city. And I thought, this is a great experiment. You know, 900 people. I mean, if you do something wrong, no one's going to know you're an hour from society. And it was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years later that the Lord said, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to that city, that little town that's 15 miles from you. And I want you to walk that city every Sunday night. And I said, well, how long am I going to do that for? He said, until I tell you to stop. I want you to walk and pray. And this is what he told me. I, it was actually an encounter. He said, I want you to walk and pray over, that, over the town, which you could do in about 40 minutes. You could walk the whole town in about 40 minutes. Well, there was 700 of the houses out of 900 were in one area. You could walk that town in about 40, 45 minutes. He said, I want you to go. I want you to walk and pray, but I don't want you to talk to anyone in that town, and I don't want you to tell them what you're doing. So I'd go every Sunday night, and I, I'm like, I didn't know if I was going to do this for... At first I thought this was going to be like, okay, three weeks, and then something was going to happen. Then three weeks turned, weeks turned into months. And I walked that city every Sunday night. I'd go there at um, 9 o'clock at night, walk the city for an hour, drive home. And once in a while, some folks from church would join me, and we'd walk together. Most of the time I'd just walk by myself, and... And the Lord would tell me different things about, you know, after I was there for a long time, the Lord would tell me different things about different houses. He'd say, this house right here, is, they're, they're selling drugs out of this house. And I would stand in front of the house and I'd say, okay, how do you want me to pray? And I learned a lot about prayer. I was surprised by the prayers that God would have me pray. Because, I mean, it would, lots of the time it wasn't like, I break the power. of. Sometimes it was like that. But sometimes the Lord would say, I want you to pray for the brokenness in this person's life. Their father did this to them. Their, their mother did this. Their uncle molested them. And, that's, and, and they're running from reality through drug addiction. And I want you to pray that that would be healed in their life. So that they stop. In other words, I would pray over root causes. And I, I did that for a year, just walking. And um, at the end of about, uh, probably about maybe a little over 12 months, a bunch of people one night... At, said to me, hey, um, are you still praying over Lewiston? I said, yeah. And they said, well, we'd like to go with you. I said, okay. So an un- unusual night. I probably had 12 or 15 people come with me. And they said, what do you do? I said, we just walk and pray. And we don't talk to anybody. And we don't pray out loud. We don't like, in the name of Jesus. You know, we just walk and pray quietly. And they're like, okay. And so we get to Lewiston. And um, I split them up into, you know, there's the first, second, third, fourth street. It was, the streets were just numbered like that. And so I gave them each, uh, you know, I, there's like three of them. I give each a street and just walk and pray. And then 
when you guys are all done praying, meet us at this old gym. So we were in front of this old metal gym, this great big gym, maybe, I don't know, a third this size, all metal, old, hadn't been used in years. And in front of the gym, there's maybe from here to the street, from this, from this building to the street, there was a large field that was just overgrown with weeds. We're about as high as this um, platform. And so I said, meet me in the parking lot by the gym when you get done praying. We'll all just meet there and we'll, we'll pray before we go. So, okay, so they all prayed and I prayed. And, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything extraordinary happening that night. And we got to the, the gym that night and I said, okay, well, before we go, let's, let's just pray. And it happened to be a winter night with no moon. And this, um, this, this town sits in the middle of the mountains, but it's kind of in a bowl, in a val- like in a valley with mountains all around it. And so it's, it's really cold. It's completely dark. There's no lights anywhere. It's kind of, you know, kind of a creepy feeling. And, um, and so we, we join hands and we start to pray. And the moment we start to pray, out of the field, that's this tall grass right in front of us, this voice goes, make, You know what? Make your hair stand up and your skin crawl. And so we stopped. And we're all looking at each other like, well, what was that? Did you hear that? And everybody's like, yeah, that's really weird. And it wasn't just the noise. It was like, it's hard to explain. But you know what? Woo! And so I'm trying to act like things are cool. Like I've been doing this for a year. It's like I got experience. So we're kind of like, you know, you're at, it, it only lasted like about 20 seconds because as soon as we stopped praying, it stopped. So I'm like, it, it wasn't like you couldn't really locate it like is it? You could tell it was right there, but where, you know? And so, and at first we're like, well, is somebody, you know, making fun of us or something, you know? So I said, well, let's just keep praying. So we, we started praying, and the second we started praying, it went, and it echoed through the valley. Ten times louder than that. It sounded like somebody was being murdered in the field. And so we stopped again, and it went, whoa! So we started, and it did it again. And then everybody was like, well, everybody wanted to get in a car and drive off. I did too, but I didn't want to act like I did. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, let's get out of here until the demon leaves. And so I said, let's just keep praying till it quits. <laughs> Which, you know, you don't know if that's going to be like, is that going to be like a minute? Or is that going to be like, can we, can, can we be here till morning? Like the how this place feels haunted. So I said, let's just pray till it quits. And they're like, everyone has, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they're looking at, I don't know if I have that much time, you know. And so, so we grabbed hands and we started praying again and it went, it got louder. And so we, so I said, don't stop. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray harder. Instead of stopping, like, let's pray harder. So we're in the name of Jesus. We just plead the blood of Jesus over this place. Everything we can think of. Then we just repeated it again. And then we just prayed in tongues, and, we were, and it went on for probably, oh, I don't know, it was, it always feels long, you know, longer when you're there. It was probably five or seven, ten minutes. And the thing was screaming and screaming, and as we would get more intense, it would get louder. And, it pretty, and, and after, after we, when, as we kept praying, you know, like longer than a few seconds, you could tell it wasn't human. Like, it didn't even sound human once we kept praying. Like, once it lasted longer, we're like, oh, that thing ain't human. So, so then we got, whoa, okay, what should we do? You know? so, so we kept praying and praying and praying. And, and, you know, and everyone's getting into it. And then all of a sudden, you could feel the Holy Spirit on it. Like, like the fear left. And we started to have, I don't know how to explain, boldness and courage came over everybody. So it was like no longer were we were afraid. We're like, oh, this is kind of cool. And so we're, we're praying, we're praying. And again, like this probably all, this whole thing probably only took 15 minutes. But we're praying and praying, and it's getting louder. And, and we're like, yeah, in Jesus' name, we bleed the blood over the city. Crazy. So we're just getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden, like, after whatever, however long it was, it goes, It's like that. Stop. Sorry. God's my witness. And we're like, Let's keep praying and see if it comes back. <laughs> Nothing. The next morning, that was Sunday night, the probation department calls me. The very next morning. Says, would you like to start a youth group? No, no, I'm sorry. They said, 
we are going to work with the parents of kids who are on probation. If they're on, if they're, if they're juveniles and they're on probation, they're, the parents are now being ordered by the courts to take a parenting class. So we're gonna, we're gonna teach them how to parent on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And we're wondering if you'd like to do something with the kids. I'm like, that's awesome. That was Monday after this demonic thing happened. First night we had, I don't know, 35, 40 kids came. They were ordered. Like, if they left, they got arrested. Dude, this is a good youth group. I'm serious. It's a good youth. This is my kind of youth group. And so they were doing this class for six weeks. I ended up there for five years. Two days a week for five years. Our oldest son, his name's Gene now. His name was Eddie. We adopted him out of there. We saw kids get saved. We saw God come. First night, five bro- five fights broke out. Five fist fights. Guys with knives, I'm like, aha. <laughs> and I don't even want to tell you what it was like to be there. Now, i, I got to tell you this one story about this. But I have, I'll probably have 50 funny stories about this. But so first first night I have I have five fist fights. I mean I am breaking up fist fights. These are these are you know teenagers who are like in you know I mean they're, they're lightweight gangs compared to L.A. But I mean they can't afford guns or bullets. But they're using knives. But after about a year, I mean these kids became my kids, and I, I loved on them, and I, I taught them the, the if you've read the Moral Revolution book um, that story in the book about the ring. I don't want to give it away, but that I got that story on the way to the gym the very first night. And I told us I told I taught them about sexuality the first night. And I had thirty seven kids bawling their eyes out. All thirty seven kids. The well, the toughest kid in 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 the in that gym when I was when I taught when I taught them that their virginity was valuable through this story. He said, No one effing told me this. He's bawling. No one effing told me this. That was night one. First year, at the end of the year, these kids are totally bonded to me. Now the group's grown to over 100. Like, there's only 900 people in the town. (laughs) And I, I won't name the group because it's being podcasted, but a particular cult group came in, all dressed up with suits, ride their bicycles, They walked in and they asked one of my kids, who's putting this on? And they said, well, that right there, that's our, that's our pastor. They didn't call me pastor, they called me Chris. He's the boss. They said, they call me the boss. He's the boss. So they come over, there's like four of them, and they start telling me, they start reading this article about separation of church and state because this, the town had given me the gym for free. And so they were like, hey, that's susceptible. you're preaching to these kids, and, the, and we're going to get you run out of here. So, they, they're, so they're reading this, this thing to me, this little piece of the law, and they're like, and we are getting you kicked out of here. But what they didn't realize, <laughs> the kids didn't like that very well, and they surrounded them. <laughs> I had a hundred kids around. I didn't say anything. I just stood back. I'm like, you made a serious mistake. You shouldn't have done that here. Let's put it this way. They didn't come back. My, my, uh, my kids weren't totally reformed. Never had a problem like that again. And within a few years, that whole place, whole, all of Lewiston, which was kind of the armpit of that whole of Trinity County, where the drug addicts and everybody lived, that whole area was all clean. They, they, they put a ball field where the, where all that tall, all the tall weeds were. They remodeled the, the gym and that became, oh, I preached for an hour. And that became just an amazing place. And what it taught me is it's only 900 people, but it taught me what happens when you deal with a strong man and you can go in and take all of his stuff.
I'd like you to stand up. You know, there has been some strong princes that have been cast down over America in the last hundred years. We're always talking about the bad stuff. You know, when I was a boy, I used to watch cowboy and Indian movies. And the Indians were the bad guys. You watch cowboy and Indian movies anymore? Can't even find them. You know why? Because we figured out that the Native Americans weren't savages. And our whole idea about thinking that's funny or that's entertainment went away. We could no longer root for the cowboys because we actually know what happened to the Indians. How about women? You know, women couldn't vote in our country till 1920. And you know that they got the right to vote by struggling for 78 years. It took them 78 years to get the right to vote. Think about it. 78 years before they got the right to vote. How many of you know that we'll never go back to taking away a woman's right to vote? Not, you know why? Because we think differently about women. See, when you create laws without binding the prince, you just keep moving back and forth. But once you change the origin, the mindset, the way people think about something, then the law will follow. How about black people? You know, when people think, well, the world's getting worse and worse. Um, If you're a woman in America, it's not true. If you're an African black person in America, you can't say the world's getting worse and worse. You were in slavery 100 years ago. And even after Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, it was almost... A hundred years before Africans actually got, African Americans actually got the right to vote. You know why? Because people still thought the same way, even though the law changed. And not only did they think the white people think the same way, the black people did too. Are you with me? What I'm getting at is I'm trying to show you that the things that we're fighting for right now, for mind shifts, it's happened in our history. Our history has dramatically improved in some areas. Uh, here's a s- small one. How about smoking? In America, it's not cool to smoke anymore. Seventy percent in America, um, smoking ha- is down by almost seventy percent. There's no law against smoking. There is against smoking in public places, but you can still smoke. But you know why people don't? Because they figured out through the origin. being destroyed when they found out that the cigarette companies were intentionally, on purpose, getting them addicted. They wised up and realized somebody is actually out to addict us to the thing that they sell. And made them mad. They changed the way they thought. Not everybody, of course, but as a general rule. And so what I'm getting at is that we have other origins to go after, but we have some victories already. And we're going to win. Because there's going to be no no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Because the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. So whenever you get afraid because of who got elected or who should have or who didn't or or what happened to your boss, or what happened to the economy, you just need to remember, you live in an unshakable kingdom. You live in a kingdom. Listen, the only reason I want abortion to go away isn't for you, it's for them. You you don't need a law to keep you from doing that. They do. And so I just want to pray right now. Put your hand on your heart. In the vision, I saw soldiers emerging from the soil. 
with a secret message. Every soldier had a secret message. <laughs> Mission possible. And you ate the message and you became the message. You didn't have to preach it because you were it. And I'm going to pray for you right now that God would give each of you a secret message. Something between you and Him. And that when people get close to you, you be contagious. I've been trying to figure out a way to share this because uh, I, I had this vision of the Black Plague. Black Plague killed 40 million people in three and a half years. And you know what stopped the Black Plague? This might be interesting to you. The, the war in, I'm sorry, the fire in London is what stopped the Black Plague. It cleansed the Black Plague. And the plague stopped because of the fire, the great fire of London. It burnt London down, but it stopped the plague. <laughs> fire cleanses. Baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire stops plagues. But I believe there's a plague of purity coming. That's like a virus. And I, I think that you're carrying it. It's part of your message. Part of who you are. So, Lord, I just release that right now. Over every single soldier in the sound of my voice. Those listening by Bethel TV. Those in the overflow rooms. Lord, that we would be contagious. We would have this Holy Spirit virus. People would catch it. It would be in the air. <laughs> and I pray that the prince of the power of the air would be the prince of peace. How many know that it isn't demons, it isn't necessarily demons over cities? When Daniel prayed, Michael the archangel became the prince of the power of the air and he fought with the prince of Persia. And Lord, we pray that you would release the archangels, the angels that are that you assigned to be over cities, as you did in the book of Revelation, when you wrote to angels over cities, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Lord, we pray for there be an angel over the city of Reading, an angel over the city of San Francisco an angel over the city of Hollywood. And we release those angels right now. We release those archangels, those, those angels that carry the apostolic mission. Lord, we release them right now. Angels that are unemployed. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Peter said that we are to employ the gifts of God. There's a lot of angels unemployed. Sitting on the sign lines, waiting for people to stop complaining and start praying so they can move. When the angel came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, he said to Daniel, I came and your, your angel, your, and, and Michael, your prince came. Only Michael, your prince came to help me. Two angels. Why only two? Only two people praying. I believe that everybody's got angels assigned to them. Some of your angels are so bored. <laughs> You're so bored. You don't go anywhere that needs angels. Lord, we just release people with great courage. We pray for people to move into realms and to see things that can't be seen. Hear things that can't be heard. Lord, we just pray for eyes to be open, ears to be open. Father, I pray right now that you would, that every single person in the sound of my voice would have an experience with that realm so that they would know what's really happening. Would change their mindset, the way they, they their, their worldview, the way they perceive life, the way they perceive problems. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us weapons of warfare that are not of the flesh, but that are divinely powerful, the destruction of fortresses. And we're destroying thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. Lord, we just pray right now that you would give us weapons of warfare that can destroy thoughts, origins. 
I mean, when you, what you can't talk somebody out of, that you can cast it out of them. <laughs> Sometimes we've got to just stop talking and start casting. And Lord, I pray for that right now. In the name of Jesus, that you would give us power over this demonic death angel that's passing over the globe. That we, we, we can't talk people out of it, but we can cast it away from them. Thank you, Lord. And I want to be careful, people listening. I don't think everybody's demon-possessed. I just think that we can all be influenced. So, Lord, we just pray for a covering. How many know in a home that one believing parent sanctifies the home? It doesn't mean they're all saved. It means they're all covered. Lord, we just pray for a covering. We pray for apostles to rise up. All over the world, Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations and whose builder and maker was God. We pray for apostles and prophets, the foundation of the church, to rise up and cover cities. They would become apostolic cities. Where once there was demonic vortexes in those cities, angels would ascend and descend from those places. We pray for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.